Hi, I'm Dr. Tiffany Jana, and so happy to see you. I'm here today to share with you one of the tried and true tools in the diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice space. I didn't invent it. This is something that, uh, that has been passed down through the diversity ecosystem for many, many years, decades even. And what I've done here is I've tweaked it a little bit uh, to serve you and the needs that you might have. So I hope that you enjoy this tool. Again, it's called the diversity wheel and it serves as a kind of a, almost like a map to our identities, who we are, some of the experiences that we've had. And it's so fascinating because how often do we really take an inventory of who we are, where we've been, what we've been through. So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce you to the diversity wheel. So if you look at the center of this diversity wheel, you've got personality, right? So personality is something that each of us is essentially born with. If you, let's say, if you have a sibling, right? If you have siblings, if you have children, let's talk about two people who uh, have the same, same ingredients from the same kitchen, but just different personalities, right? So if you've got the same genetic material, essentially, but you've got two very different people. So I've got a, I've got an older sibling who votes differently from me, who thinks differently from me, who, you know, his entire motivation on planet earth is very different from mine, but we've got the same parents and we're even raised in the, in the same environment. And what we know about, about babies when they enter the world is that some babies are born and they are, you know, content to have their formula or their breast milk. And they're just very chill. I remember my first child, I was able to take him in a carrier to the movie theater and no one knew he was there. And then my second child never in a million years could do that. She was fussy. She was frustrated. She was a very, very serious person all the way through to her adulthood. Now, just a very different substrate. And even before experiences amass, People are just different. So personality is, you know, of course, over time, it might be influenced, but we do just have some kind of a substrate there. So when we move out into this yellow ring, the primary ring, we've got different, different identities there. So take age, for instance, people are born on a particular day at a particular time. Age is just something that you've got. If you look at race and ethnicity. So I've got, got race and ethnicity across from each other. Some people would say, well, why, why are those two things in different places? Well, race is actually a social construct. Ethnicity is your heritage, your DNA. Where did your ancestors come from? We can actually take a blood test and find that out, a DNA test and find out that. Whereas race as a social construct has to do with you know, external phenotypes, it has to do with culture, it has to do with all kinds of things. We made race up, right? Linnaeus back in the day was identifying plants and animals and kingdom and phoenix and species and all of these things. We didn't stop classifying animals and plants when we got to people and they were actually classified, you know, negroid, mongoloid, caucasoid, just all of these categories that while made up, have continued to have this really meaningful impact on people over time. And while it is a construct that was made up, we have a lot of years, hundreds of years invested in these identities. So we're seeing now that we're starting to untangle some of that mess, but race and ethnicity are different. But what we can say is with your ethnicity, it comes with you. And with your race, you can identify how you want to identify. But when people see you, they might have an identification that they place upon you. 
Um, and then we've got sex and sexual orientation are also across from each other. Sex and sexual orientation, and I would also put gender in there. So there's a, a triad of three different things that are related, but they're not the same. Some people want to conflate them and make them, you know, make assumptions based on one. They can make assumptions about the other, but your sex, it would be more like your um, sex is, is, has to do with your chromosomes. It has to do with the XY, XX, or intersex, right? They're all different ways to be identified in that way. Um, and that is a biological indicator. Gender is a little bit different. Gender is how we, ch how we choose to identify, how we express and how we feel that we are. So while my birth certificate said that I was born a little female in El Paso, Texas, um, I have since identified my gender as non-binary. So my gender and my gender expression are something that I chose, whereas the you know sex, sex um, as assigned at birth is something that people laid upon me. And then the sexual orientation is just, who are you into? <laughs> like, what, what do you dig? And your sex, your gender, and your sexual orientation are not related, right? You can be any gender identity. You can have any uh, gender assigned at birth or sex uh, chromosomally and be attracted to anybody else. All of these things are completely separate, but they are related. Um, and then we've got uh, mental and physical ability. These are aspects that just based on the bodies that we're born into, uh, we have access. Some access is very broad and some access can be narrowed or different. But within that primary ring, by and large, we say these are things that are just part of who we are and they, they, come, they come on board very quickly, right? Uh, when we move out to the secondary ring, we're talking about early influences here. We're talking about things that, for instance, if you look at geographic location, you're born somewhere right? Your parents, they live somewhere. And then you, of course, can change your geographic location later. But depending on where you're born, that might give you different levels of access, right? If you were born into the least resourced educational system in the country, uh, and your parents are not in a position to put you in a private school, that is certainly going to affect um, aspects of your life. It doesn't mean it's going to limit you forever. It doesn't mean it's impossible for you to potentially like go to Harvard. Um, but those tend to be outliers and not expectations. So they do have influence. Language, likewise, language is something that, you know, babies and little humans speak what the people around them speak. And what we know now, like back in the day, we didn't get language until like middle school or high school. And nowadays kids are getting language like pre-K and even in utero, we're putting little, <laughs> little headphones on the babies in utero to give them access to language because we have the brain science has evolved. We now know that people have the capacity to learn not only any language that they hear, but as many languages as they hear. So when you traverse the globe, you come across people who speak four and five and six and upwards of 10 languages simply because they had access to it. In the United States in particular, there's a slight disadvantage because you can go thousands of miles across from coast to coast and really only encounter one or two languages. Whereas anywhere else in the world, if you go that far, you're going to come across a lot more language. Um, the other one I want to look at is religion and spirituality. So religion and spirituality, oftentimes what we have access to early is whatever is around us, the people who take care of us, whatever we have access to. Again, you can change or choose your religion later on, but 
Uh, I was born and raised a baby Catholic and uh, wiping off the baby Catholic waters is a very difficult thing to do. <laughs> so even though I, I, I respect and love and study all of the ascended masters and the religions of the world, there's a part of my heart in which Catholicism has embedded itself that is very difficult to extract. And I don't need to extract it. I've just expanded my heart to include more religion and spirituality. So the theme of that secondary ring is these are early influences. These are things that you don't really have much of a choice about early on, but later you can make a different choice. And let's look at that religion and spirituality one, because with religion and spirituality, let's say that you are born into a very, you know, conservative, single focused, single pointed faith. And of course you can unchoose it, but we look, look at the, you know, there are some there, even in the United States, there are some faiths where you have an opportunity to walk away for a while, right? You're rumspringen, right? You get to go and, and check out other things. And then if you choose not to go with the faith of your family and your community, then you're shunned. And that's a formal practice within one group of religious folks, but there's an informal practice of choosing to walk away from the faith and spirituality of your family and community sets you at odds with that community. So for some people, it doesn't really feel like a choice, no matter how old they get. So it can be really difficult to untangle those early influences. Now, the tertiary ring on the outside has more to do with the things that we really do ultimately choose. Like what, how do you choose to spend your time? How do you choose to, um, to focus your career? Like uh, you, you're probably making some decisions around, um, around the, the later parts of your education, your skills, your trades, um, how you choose to make your money, uh, the things that you're into, political associations, et cetera. Again, they can be influenced by those early things, but ultimately by the time we're making these kinds of decisions, we tend to have more autonomy. Now, my favorite thing about all of this is that this wheel does not sit in the context of nothing. It sits in the context of an era, right? And I've been, you know, I've, I, have, I have taught this wheel over decades now. And we used to talk about things like, you know, World War II and how that affected people and affected people differently. So some people got things like GI bills and were able to buy houses at low rates, like white soldiers in particular, but black families didn't get the same access. And now wealth disparity is massive because some people got a leg up after the war and some folks not so much. So we're seeing the disparate impact. One event, the World War, created an opening of opportunity for one group of people and a narrowing of opportunity for other groups of people. And in era events, that's what we see. So we, we had 9-11 where we had, you know, once upon a time moving through the airports was a pretty smooth and easy thing. And now all of a sudden, you know, we've people have experienced domestic terrorism all over the world, but that was not something that was familiar in the American landscape. And I remember at the time I was married to someone who was ethnically ambiguous and sort of kind of looked like he could be from an Arab nation and moving through an airport with that guy moving, getting onto a plane with him post 9-11, like that was uh, a really, really difficult thing. Suddenly people around him were mistrustful and he didn't do anything other than happen to look something that he wasn't. So um, some opportunities open and some narrow. And now this is actually the first time that I've spoken about the diversity wheel since the global pandemic and the racial uprisings. And we now have an era event that we're living through in real time, right? That has 
impacted diff different people very differently, right? Many, many people have lost their lives as a result of it. And most of us know someone somewhere or, or many someone somewhere who have been adversely affected by, by the situation. So whether it was through your employment, um, through, you know, through health and wellness, um, first responders, so many different people um, have been affected in different ways. There are some businesses and some industries that expanded exponentially. Anything that was online did really well during the pandemic, uh, whereas people who relied on foot traffic, people who relied on tourism um, just had devastating effects. So all of these things on this diversity wheel sit in the context of the generations, uh, the climate, the different things that are going on in, in a given lifetime. So this is all contextual. Everybody, everybody has, let's, let's just say that everybody has a diversity wheel. Okay. If everybody has a diversity wheel, do we think that people are leaving them on their pillow, right? And then going out into the world, going to work, right? Going to the grocery store. Absolutely not, right? This diversity wheel comes with us everywhere we go, where we are, our diversity wheel is, okay? And I like to think of it as like a big peacock feather that, that's behind me. <laughs> and it's just spinning there behind me, flapping, being all fabulous. This is my life experience. This is who I am. And the minute I come in contact with another person, that diversity wheel flips out in front of me, right? And then it starts spinning. And every single one of those little variables acts as a lens and or a filter. So every communication, right, whether it's internal or happening verbally, every communication and every perception is being filtered through these and seen through the lenses of these experiences. So because of my age, stage, sexual orientation, recreational habits, political affiliation, like we're seeing that big time now, everything that you say to me is being filtered through my diversity wheel and everything I say to you is being filtered through mine. And guess what? Also through yours, because when we came face to face with each other, both of our wheels came forward. And this to me is one of the things that accounts for why when uh, we we're in the same room, hearing the same data, we're hearing the same speech or same conversation. Then we go back and we're like, Oh my gosh, can you believe that so-and-so really believes such and such and meanwhile, we're like, wait a minute, that's not what I heard because I heard it through the filter of my diversity wheel. It didn't hit me the same way that it hit you because I don't have the same set of experiences and I don't have the same set of, of factors that make up who I am. So there's so much room for grace in understanding that no two diversity wheels are the same. I don't care if we both look like, you know, middle-aged white women from, from middle America we are going to have diversity wheels that still look different. And by virtue of that, our perceptions, our understanding, the way that we communicate, the way that we interpret is going to be different. Okay. So what I'd like to invite you to do is to take your blank diversity wheel. And I'd like for you to fill out as much of it as you can. So you can take these, these, these are, these are really suggested variables. There's an infinite number of, of these lenses and filters and variables that can exist. These are just some that we chose that we have found useful over time. So fill yours out for personality. Like, you know, if you've ever taken a Myers-Briggs or, <laughs> or disc or something like that, you can put one of those or just put outgoing and, you know, you know, in, 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 what is it? Introverted extroverted, things like that. 
something like that for personality, and then fill out whatever you can for the rest of them. You don't have to fill it out completely, but fill out as much as you can. Press pause on this and then come back. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> I hope that that was interesting. I can tell you that in person, uh, it takes different people, different amounts of time to do it. So have grace for yourself if it took a while, because again, how often do we take these inventories of, you know, of these identities of ourselves? So it's a great exercise. And I want you to just reflect. Did you find it difficult to do? Uh, did you find it really easy? Did you just blaze through those categories and fill them out? Um, if some of them were confusing, it's okay. Answer it how you feel like answering it, right? Some people struggle with things like family status. What does that mean? It means whatever it means to you, right? For me, um, family status could include divorced. It could include single parent. It could include any number of things, but just what it means to you. So now that you have filled that, that diversity wheel out, I would like for you to identify three variables from your diversity wheel that you would most like most identified with things that you want to hold on to. So let's, let's have a little, we'll, we'll, we'll play a little game. So we're going to call this diversity wheel of fortune. Yeah. I'm Vanna Black. I'm here as your hostess today. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to spin the diversity wheel. Everything goes flying off of your wheel. Everything except for the three identities that you chose. Now, they can be from any part of the wheel. They don't have to be just from the primary ring or the secondary, they can be from anywhere in the ring, but identify three things that you would hold on to. I'll give you a second. All right, now that you've got your three identities that you would hold on to, I want you to think about why. Why did you hold on to the three identities that you held on to? Now, I don't know what you chose. I'm not in the room with you there, really, right? I'm only here online, but I can tell you that very often people have a tendency to hold on to aspects of their identity, sometimes the ones that seem that, that feel to others to be the most marginalized, right? It is very often that People who identify as gender minorities, non-binary, gender fluid, women will choose that as something that they hold on to because it's something they're strongly identified with. You'll find that people of color and religious minorities have a tendency to circle those because it's something they're strongly identified with. And it's so interesting because those folks who sit at the kind of epicenter of, of majority identities would might wonder, well, why on earth? would people choose the identities around which they have been made to feel less than? Well, what I can tell you is that from my experience, the reason people do that is because it is the very identities that have caused us the most heartache. It's the very identities that have pushed us the most to the margins that has demonstrated to ourselves and to the world who we are. The fact that I've had to push against the margins of gender and gender identity and what that means and the expectations that people have of me, I'm strongly identified with that because I am so proud to be a non-binary human 
surviving on this planet in this time, right? The fact that I'm, I may sound like a white person to some people and have been educated like a middle-class white person and have access like some white people do, but I am not a white person. I have some white in my DNA somewhere, but I'm identified as a black person living in America. And to the extent that that has made my life difficult, it has also made me who I am. So as you examine the reasons why you chose what you chose, think about the experiences that you associate with those things. And it's also not uncommon for people to choose the majority identities around or the identities around which they have privilege. So often white men will choose white and male as the things that they want to hold on to. And they might not, I mean, in this, in this day and age, people are starting to recognize we're talking about that kind of privilege, but the reality is when you're willing to understand the difference between earned privilege and unearned privilege, you don't have to feel shame about any of it. It's about what you do with that privilege that matters. It's not a crime to have been born in any majority identity experience or body, right? So I chose mental and physical ability were, I think they used to actually be together in the very first version of the wheel we had, they were together, but so many people chose them that we separated them. <laughs> we made people actually go there because, you know, it is when you are able-bodied, and when you are not, you know, considered neurodivergent and you're willing to acknowledge and recognize the extent to which that advantages your life and your experience, then it, yes, it does become something that we want to hold on to. That said, it's important for us to recognize that out of all of these dimensions of diversity, particularly in the, in the, in the first two um, categories, the disability community is one that all of us will enter if we are lucky enough to age, right? <laughs> I mean, wearing glasses puts you just a little bit in that community. And the more, the, the older your body gets, the less it will be able to perform and your mind the way that it did when you were young. And so the natural process of aging, notwithstanding, any of us could step out into the street and experience something all of a sudden, whether it's COVID or a car crash that could instantly thrust us into a new community, not a community of disadvantage. It is a sacred and beautiful community, but it is important to locate yourself where you are and understand what that means, both for you and in the interactions that you have with other people. So I hope that you enjoyed learning about the diversity wheel. Um, I, I'm sorry, not sorry for the fact that now that you've seen it, you can't unsee it and you will be wondering what is on everyone else's diversity wheel. And I can tell you like, that is the journey. That is the sacred journey. The more you get to know people like, yes, if you meet me in the street, you're going to see a, I think it's kind of green now, green haired, teal haired, brown person. And you'll see some things on the surface, but I can tell you that the most of the stuff on the diversity wheel that is the most like exciting, intriguing, filled with value and story is hiding beneath the surface. These are the things that you cannot see. So become interested in your own diversity wheel, become interested in other people's. Don't, you can't force it out of them. <laughs> but if you've gained enough trust and you're able to, to, to share these experiences with people, it is definitely a sacred share. And if you've got friends and family and people that you want to take the inventory with, it's a really fun exercise. 
So thank you so much for joining me. I hope that this expands your perception and opens your heart just a little bit more. Namaste. As always, we love to hear from you. Please share your insights with us in the sandbox or write to us at innermba at soundstrue.com. And thanks for being part of the Inner MBA and for both the inner and outer work you do to benefit others.